All right, welcome to Felt Recoil, the world's least famous gun podcast, episode number 107. Are we even a gun podcast anymore? Sometimes I feel I we're straying from the original intent. The founders would be so angry. Wait, there was original intent? That was a deep, deep reference. I have a degree in political science. I don't know if you know. <laughs> tell me more. This is where it got me. Uh, and, by, and by tell me more, I mean, can we just get on with it? Yes, sir. Sorry about that. Um, my name is Chris. Across from me is... It's Patrick. P-Mag Hulon. How are you, sir? I'm okay. Welcome back from the beach. Yeah. Was it a good time? It was a pretty good time. Did you wear a face mask the whole time? No, but there were idiots wearing them on the beach. And I what? laughed at them. Oh, like it was coming in through the ocean breeze. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> when I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. It did come from China. Oh. That's across the ocean. So there is that. But you were on the Atlantic side, not the Pacific side. Let's so it, don't get into okay, semantics. I was say. It would kind of, like it still wouldn't you really make sense. You can't see the other side. That's fair. So. This is fair. They may have just assumed. Can I share uh, real quick? <laughs> I, I I can't stop too much anymore and fathom the idiocracy of the American public. And we're going to talk about that a good bit. Uh, at the top of the set list tonight is the White Coat Summit on Capitol Hill. Dr. Dan Erickson, who's the owner of Accelerated Urgent Care, uh, got up and gave a rousing hoorah as to why we need to stop panicking. We'll play that audio for you and we'll play a little bit more. Um, plus, we're going to talk about the Antifa riots and how Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I think there's those are just one and the same at this point because they have the same tactics, same goals. They're the same. Um, and if you think you're marching with Black Lives Matter for the sake of Black Lives, I think you're sorely mistaken, although you, you might have really good intentions. Uh, I think you're misguided and you need to rethink. And we all need to rethink. I'm serious about that. We need to hit reset and we need to reevaluate. But first, before we get to all that, plus our vote of the week this week, our vote, I, I don't know what exactly uh, you can say about this week's vote of the week um, outside of they deserve everything they get for being the vote of the week. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm an ambitious officer. I need to be a part of the 100 Club. The 100 Club. Uh, that's Boda himself there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> these guys deserve every bad thing that happens to them. They're our vote of the week. In fact, we'll tell you more. Um, Voda's hanging out with them. I think he trained them, judging by this week's story. All right. Okay. The reason they got Voda. We'll get into it, man. <gasps> they may have gotten Voda because of Voda. From Voda. Mind blown. Yeah. Infinity loop. Um, we'll get all that just a minute. First of all, uh, this week's charity of choice is the War Fund. This is South Carolina's premier charity that raises funds to assist wounded and recovering police officers around the state. South Carolina is where we live. That's why it's uh, important to us. But uh, we would urge you to visit us on Facebook 
Uh, just search out Felt Recoil Show. We have a link there to the War Funds website. And coming up soon is a charity falling steel match that's going to be in September. It's September 11th and 12th. You can still sign up and register and come shoot guns with us. We'll be out there hanging around. A um, lot of major uh, firearms companies on board. I think Palmetto State Armory is the title sponsor this year. So uh, there'll be fun giveaways and things like that. So go out there, uh, go to their website. And then go join them uh, at Belton Gun Club uh, in September. Uh, it's uh, just a few bucks to go shoot, but it goes to charity. So uh, go have yourself a good time, possibly win a prize, and support law enforcement as they're out there doing God's work. And God knows uh, they need support more than ever. I mean, in, in case you haven't heard, if you get shot in the line of duty as a police officer, two things could very well happen. A, insurance stops paying your bills because it maxes out. And then B, the department might stop paying you because you've been out for too long. That's terrifying to think about. <laughs> terrifying, especially this day and age where police are being targeted for assassination. Just think you could get shot in the back by some coward Antifa member or they hurdle a, a bottle at you or you know rocks and, and bottles of frozen water as they're doing to the police in Portland now. And then you're out of pocket, 10, 20 grand, and you're bankrupt for doing your job. It's crazy. But it is a real thing, and they do need your help. So that's why the War Fund exists. Please uh, visit FeltRecoilShow.com. Click over to our social media uh, Facebook page specifically. We have a link there for you. Okay. All right. Um, Let's start in D.C. This is Dr. Dan Erickson. He's owner of Accelerated Urgent Care. What happened was uh, they had this white coat summit, and I feel like this is probably the most overlooked story of the week this week. That's why it's leading the show this week is because it's so important that you hear what these doctors are actually saying about what's actually happening. Because as you probably know, um, good news never gets reported. Sensationalism is what sells. And so, um, as I've, I, I think I've said it before, you know, there's, there's this thing that can happen to you for the sake of your humanity is to turn the news off to just stop paying attention to what all the crazy people are saying. And if you can do that, I really do think it's healthy. I think it's better for you to shut it all down and go about your daily life not worrying what NBC News is telling you. Right? Tend your own garden. Yeah, there you go. That's a great way to say it. Did you come up with that? No. Oh, was that Buddha? It was one or the other. Yeah, it was, it was definitely me or Buddha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leaning towards towards the fat man. I think, yeah, I, I think you're paraphrasing. I think his was Sand Garden, Zen Garden. Yeah, the full quote. How Ten, high are you right now? <laughs> into your own Zen Garden. All right. <laughs> Am I mixing up all the religions of the world? Um, all right, anyway, Dr. Dan Erickson comes out and he says, I'm hey, trying to figure out who has a garden made out of sand. You've never seen a Zen Garden? Was, come on, man. I was, that was a joke. Well, it was racist. <laughs> because Asians have it. All right. You got and you me just lumped them all together. You got me there. <laughs> Man, I don't know how to sit across from you every week. It's really getting to be difficult. You know, open your eyes to the rest of the world, okay? You're not the only one, Whitey. There are people out there that rake sand for therapy. Wait a second. So if I'm racist, mm-hmm. but you just call me Whitey, mm-hmm. what does that make you? Not racist. You're not racist if you're racist towards a racist. Oh. Yep. It's like dividing by zero. It's exactly right. Hmm. 
as I tried to tell my wife recently. I see no flaws in yep. that logic. It's it's airtight, my friend. Airtight. Okay, uh, let's talk about Dr. Dan Erickson. Listen to him as he tells you what he's actually been experiencing on the ground and how the media is exaggerating the coronavirus. What I was noticing on the media is that they were saying cases, 5,000 new cases in Houston. Okay, a case is a person healthy that tested positive, the vast majority. But the public hears cases and thinks, oh my goodness, these are sick people. No, the vast majority, 99.8% of people get through this with little to no progressive or significant disease. But the cases, every day, all the major media, the cases, the cases, the cases, that is not what we should be talking about. Hospitalizations, that's fair. Deaths that are appropriately coded on a death certificate, that's fair. And I, I stress appropriately coded. Yeah, so you know, obviously you've heard uh, in Florida recently they had uh, the motorcycle accident that got classified as a coronavirus death. The guy died in a motorcycle accident, but they classified it. Um, you had an article this week, Hulon, 600,000 service members were told they had coronavirus. Yeah. But as it turned out, they didn't. You have people being called by states and saying you tested positive, and their response is, I never even got tested. And so you say, well, what about all these numbers, all these different metrics we're hearing? What are we to do with that? Well, Erickson has a uh, answer for that as well. Was the lockdown successful? I say yes, very successful. Successful in things like this. Anxiety hotline calls up a thousand percent. Child abuse, both sexual and non, up. Uh, financial, emotional distress, suicide, alcohol, 150,000 Americans a month not receiving cancer screening. It's been effective, all right, in all the wrong metrics. So they're going to tell you, you know, it is it is scary to think you got a thousand people a day. They say are dying from coronavirus, but then we don't really know how many people actually are dying because of coronavirus like that. If a thousand people a day die and they have coronavirus, it doesn't necessarily mean they died because of it. Right. Am I wrong in that logic? No, I mean, I, that makes sense. Okay. I feel like that's the easy way to inflate the numbers, though, right? That's money, money. Whole, yeah, that's the whole point is they're going to get a, a few extra bucks kicked to them because they get another patient. Big time. So it's a money grab, which, we, I mean, we've talked about that before. But I think the strange thing here is when you have, say, 600 people in the military that have been told that they have this, this disease, and then suddenly uh, – that is retracted, right? The retraction doesn't make headlines. I know people don't read newspapers anymore, but back when those were a thing. Right. Yeah, when they, they would, actually would correct themselves when they, they would, got it wrong. They would put a retraction somewhere in the middle. It would never be front page. They're not going to lead with the fact that they screwed up. Mm-hmm. So every night when you, you turn the TV on and you watch the news, it's breaking news. More people have coronavirus. It's the same thing every night yep and you know what's funny is it's kind of like we've hinted at before the people you do know that get it are usually better pretty quick and the three people i've known of the three people personally knew two of them were avid mask wearers right and then you see things on social media of people getting it 
who were avid mask wearers. Uh, and you go, well, what, what do we do here? Meaning, is the response warranted from the public? Is now Obviously, I think the media's response is, is unwarranted. I think there's a, a big similarity here between what we're seeing with the handling of coronavirus and what we're seeing with Black Lives Matter, right? You have this deadly disease and these mostly peaceful protests. Well, neither <laughs> one of those things are true, right? But they rile us up. So they got us scared enough to stay inside for two months, right? Like literally we're telling people don't go outside. People were not even going to the park because they were afraid it was just out in the air. And you well, were and in get some it. places, people were getting arrested for that. Yes. Yeah. And you had the guy paddle boarding in California. Yeah, that's true. They, they chased him down with a speedboat. Yep. I mean, you yep. can't make this stuff up. Right. Just proving the point, right? And then the three officers are handcuffing him. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Like, what exactly are you doing that is helping anybody if, you know, if the idea is we, we have to be socially distanced from everybody, then how do you justify three cops showing up? Like, that was kind of well, the early the indicator, guy, right? You're going to arrest a guy that's by himself in the water right, and take him to jail where you're releasing people because you don't want to spread the disease. Isn't that interesting? So now, the, the, so the question becomes: Is the is the reaction of the media and the public? Does it match what's necessary? Here's Doctor Erickson uh, on whether or not he and his family are wearing masks. Um, initially, my family. Uh when we first started out in March, we were wearing masks. We were buying Lysol. We were doing the whole thing, right? And uh, then after a couple of months, when I said, now, wait a second. The cases I'm seeing are extremely mild. I called the CEOs from three different centers in Central California. I said, how are you guys doing? Slow. I said, like, how slow? 40% occupancy. Whoa. And they had all their, the tents are out. We're ready for bear. And squirrel shows up. We were ready, right? We were we were going for the big ones. We were all ready because we had heard. We'd watched China. We'd watched the different nations and said, let's get ready for this, which I agree with 100%. Let's get fully ready. But then let's be realistic with the response. Who showed up? Most of the patients that were showing up for me were very mild illness. So at that point, we need to make sure. That's why I, I wanted to come out and sort of give reality to the situation on the ground and, and sort of help dispel some fear that people have had. Yep. And so then, and this is just kind of the cherry on top, is you have a guy named Dr. Richard Urso, and he is an ophthalmologist, but he spent something like six years in ERs, uh, working hundreds of hours every month in the ERs. And he basically gives an account of how what's really happening is anybody that speaks out has a fear of reprisal because, um, Basically, you have to be, I guess, board certified to practice medicine, and the boards are coming after these doctors and saying, you keep your mouth shut or things will go bad for you. Now, it's fair, I think, to throw in um, to the equation the variable of the fact that we know hospitals get paid more if people die there from coronavirus or if they're being treated there for coronavirus. So there is a vested financial interest on the part of the hospital systems to have people there be sick with coronavirus. If they die, find a way to tie it to coronavirus and report it that way. Well, I mean, hospitals are nothing more than a business, so. Fair enough. I mean, they employ analysts to figure out basically how much money can they make 
off of people with different types of illnesses. And I mean, that's not, that's not uh, me making right. something up there. And it's I know not people callous. That do that. Yeah. And, and in a, in a, in this society, you'd be silly not to, I mean, you wouldn't want to operate a hospital and just think, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, it'll right. work itself out in terms of the finances. You should want to make a profit. I don't know that that means throwing compassion to the wind and just right. saying, well, don't, you know, we don't really care who you are, or what you are, or what your situation is. Just give us some money. That's, I feel like that's what it's turning into. Yeah. It's, it's that's like, unfortunate. <laughs> it's like the other end of St. Jude, right? So you have St. Jude and what, the reason it's so easy to give money to, to something like St. Jude's is because at St. Jude, no child has ever turned away. If your kid gets cancer and needs treatment, you go to St. Jude's and they don't say no. Right. And you don't pay. You don't pay. Right. That's why I'm such a softy for that because anytime somebody says you want to round up or give a couple of bucks, absolutely, because it's such an amazing mission to be out there doing. This is the opposite of that to a degree. Like now it's a money grab and we'll put aside proper protocol, maybe even proper practice of medicine in order to make a few more few more bucks and the media is as complicit in this as they are with what's getting people killed in the streets right now in portland and austin and aurora we do a funny thing as americans or maybe as people um if i could be so general and we and 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 you probably could even see it in a smaller microcosm of your life but we tend to reward terrible behavior (laughs) yeah and i don't know how you fix that right so people want to talk about you know, systemic racism or whatever. I think what's systemic is, is just that it's just, we continue to let bad things happen and either ignore it or encourage behavior that perpetuates those bad things to happen. Sure. Well, you know, um, social media doesn't help, right? No. Yeah. (laughs) The idea of YouTube being a living doesn't help anything. In fact, uh, my oldest son is seven years old and he desperately wants a YouTube channel, right? And he wants to play video games and he wants to build things and he he just wants to be what he sees other people doing that he's interested in, right? A a typical kid. Every kid wants to do this. And so there's this thing where, um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but uh, we bought the, when the, when the lockdown started, I said, uh, I'll tell you what we'll do to bide your time. Because literally like we can't go to the activity center. We normally go to anymore. They closed the pool. They closed the fields. Everything he would do for recreation was whoosh, cut off. So um, what could go wrong there? Right. So you're just, you're stuck at home. Right. And so I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll invest the money. We'll get it through Amazon because they're still delivering. And so we buy the stuff for him to record himself playing video games, and he does what every human in the world does, and he mimics the people he idolizes, right, the YouTubers Mm -hmm. he's watching. So he suddenly has this, like, uh, YouTube personality he puts on as soon as the camera starts recording. And so he and I had a conversation about don't be them. You're not adding any value to the world. The world, frankly, won't care if you're attempting to be them. The world already has that. They're already being fed that thing, right? That's why these uh, knockoff business coaches that we laugh at a little bit, that's why they find minimal success because there are people in your immediate vicinity who won't know what it is you're stealing. So you can get away with that a little bit, but you're not adding value to the world at large 
the world's going to recognize that, and they're not going to want a lot to yeah, do with that, you. That train runs out of tracks pretty quick, though. Exactly. So he and I had that conversation, and then I dovetailed in, and don't let it be something you do just so people watch the video. Clickbait. What's clickbait? I tell him. These things are clickbait. Don't be that guy just so people will click and your view count goes up because then you're somebody you're not, right? Like it's all one and the same. But now you have created something you have to be if you ever meet these people in person. Imagine having to throw that um, persona on every time you start talking to people. So it's just this interesting thing to see a seven-year-old revert to what you can also see 40-year-olds you know, and 30-year-olds doing on YouTube where they put on this, ooh, this is me, I'm so crazy, you know, but but you're not. In, in fact, I think oftentimes you find there's this really uh, kind of dark corner of that life of, well, now it's quiet and I'm alone. What the heck do I do with yeah, myself? I think there's right? a, actually a YouTube documentary about that, about all these like social media influencers and kind of what their life is actually like. Yeah. And um, how depressing it really is and how sure. these people are, you know, they're in bad shape because when the cameras turn off, they're, who are you? At this just point? a normal guy or whatever, yeah. and it affects them in a really, really strong way. So it's immediate gratification, but it's also a personification of a falsehood, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about here. This, this whole thing that's happening around us now is uh, is kind of the media's way of making sure we're we're still paying attention to them because the media knows the attention is dying. They know people don't trust them. Okay, that's why they parrot what every other media organization does because they want to do what they know works. But nobody's watching the news anymore. It's few and far between that actually sit down and watch local news in the morning or in the evening anymore. It's the elderly, maybe people in their 30s and 40s. But otherwise, I think that thing is long gone. Podcasting is becoming a thing where I think we're at 30% of the population is consuming podcasts now as a regular habit. That is where the trend is heading. The trend is heading to, I will get my information from a trusted source. And so the media knows that. At large, they know that. They're trying to figure that out. That's why they're backing podcasts now. These true crime podcasts have big money behind them. Some of them good, some of them bad. I started noticing that because, you know, I'm a big mm-hmm. podcast guy. I know you are. So I like, the, I like the true crime stuff. I like all kinds of different podcasts. And I started to notice where you had uh, CBS, New York Times, Washington Post. Yeah. All of these major big name media outlets, suddenly their names were attached to podcasts that really I didn't think necessarily had anything to do with those outlets. And I started to wonder why after a little while, and I, I guess the conclusion I came to was sort of the point you're making is they're trying to insert themselves into the podcast world. Yeah. Um, Relevancy. In a subtle way, though, mm-hmm. which I guess is smart on their part because then you, so if you like those podcasts, you then start to associate, say, the Washington Post or whomever yeah. with a trusted source because that was a good story. Yeah. Well, sometimes those stories can be embellished. Yep. Right. Yep. So if I'm really listening to whoever killed whoever and associating the Washington Post with it, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily view a lot of those podcasts as um truly biographical. Right. Because I think there's a lot of uh embellishment and conjecture and 
personal feelings in a lot mm-hmm. of them. And I've heard, and some are better than others. Don't get me wrong, but I've heard some that were really bad and some that were really good, both that have had major media outlets names attached to them. Yeah. So you're seeing that more and more. Did you ever listen to last scene about the art heist in Boston? No, because exactly what you're talking about. There's a seminal moment in that podcast. Maybe seminal is not the right word, but there's a very telling moment in that podcast where the lady that does it, she's the very typical, I wish I were on NPR and maybe she is from NPR. I don't remember. Uh, She's got that cadence and delivery. Here we were in the art gallery, decorated, delicately refined. Right? Like they all do that. So stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like they want you to hear every click of the tongue against their teeth. Anyway, she does this thing where she gets a hot lead and she thinks, so it's about an art heist. They steal, I think, 13 pieces of art. It's, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's like the most expensive art theft in history in the United States. I at already least. solved it. Okay. Sean Connery, <laughs> Catherine Zeta Jones. Done. I don't have to listen to it now. You should totally email her. So she gets should with... Should I and say, hey, listen, got some inside knowledge. Hate, hate to break it to you. Your podcast was movie 20 years ago, loser. Um, she gets with the hired PI and the hired security for the museum, right? And I believe they're one in the same. I think it's a guy who was a private investigator. The museum goes to him and says, tell you what, we're going to put you in charge of the investigation. Go find this art, very expensive art. And she goes to him and it's basically like, okay, uh, I want you to talk to me because I have this hot lead. So he's already working with the podcast. He's Mm -hmm. been on several episodes. And she goes back and she says, I have this hot lead, yada, yada. And basically says to him, Give me all the information you have, but I'm not going to give you anything because I want to scoop you on it. I want it for the podcast. And that, and to her credit, she put it in the, they didn't have to put it in the podcast, but they did. And that dude looks at her and goes, are, te- are you telling me that you care more about yourself than you do finding the art? Because if so, I'm not dealing with you anymore. This isn't about your podcast Boom. and it's not about your reputation. Tell me what you know. It's like harsh. And then she goes into... It really hurt my feelings when he said that, but he's right. So it's kind of this really cool moment of, yes, because not her fault, but that's what the media is training its people to do. They have to insert themselves in every story. They have to be a part of it. Anyway, too long-winded on this, except to say that that is what we're seeing now is this insertion of the media into the stories, and we're finding that they're really only telling the story that benefits them the most, So I think there's a correlation between coronavirus and the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that the media is whitewashing all details that prove them wrong so that we feel like we still have to rely on them. More on that in a second. First, uh, did you know that one time I went to FN and bought a handgun from them? FN used to have a pro shop. You could go into the pro shop. You could shop all the FN items you wanted, and you could take one home with you right there next to where they actually make them. It was really cool. But alas, it is no more. It is a relic. It will be cherished forever. And a really nice crew of guys that work there, by the way. Uh, anyway, so uh, I sent them an email and said, I want to come down and buy a 509 because it's awesome. And they said, come on. Uh, and the point of the email was, can I film my interaction there and show uh, my experience? They said, that'd be fine with us. And so I went down and I asked to see the LC9s. And it's this 
probably my favorite thing I've ever done because my guy that ran the shop named Mo is a big dude and he looks like the FN gnome, like legitimately. If you told me that's who it was based on. Yeah, man. I mean, huge beard down to the belly button type beard, uh, really long, dark black hair, just looks Nordic in a sense, you know, like a true Viking man. And, uh, then there's me. Hey, (laughs) glad to be here. What are these thingies? Uh, stop touching the guns. And anyway, it's a lot of fun. You can see it on our YouTube channel. Just go to feltrecoolshow.com and click on the YouTube icon and go check that out. It's also up uh, at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash feltrecoolshow. It'll be there for you as well. Check me out visiting the FN Pro Shop to buy my 509. And there's a lot of other fun videos on the YouTube channel there as well. C- click around on those. Okay, uh, let's let's go back to what is happening. I do want to pause before we get into this. This will probably be the last story we have time to discuss. But I'm so sad, and I mean that legitimately. I'm really, really sad for this young lady in Austin, Texas, who lost her fiancé. And I feel like anything we say about this guy has to be prefaced with the fact that Garrett Foster, was he 28 years old? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, 28-year-old Garrett Foster. uh, If you haven't heard, he was shot and killed at a Black Lives Matter event. (laughs) They're calling it. That's okay, event. Uh, I guess that's fair if you don't want to call it what it was. uh, Throw the word peaceful in there. Yeah. He's walking around a Black Lives Matter event with his fiancée, and an AK-47. Now, here's the thing you need to know about what makes Garrett Foster, I think, a very special human being, actually. Um, Garrett's fiance is a, a quadruple amputee. So several years ago, she got very, very sick. She got an infection, and in order to stop the infection from killing her, the doctors amputated her hands and feet. So she's confined to a wheelchair. Garrett was serving in the Air Force when that happened, and he went home to begin caring for her for the rest of her life. Now, she's black, and that's important because it explains why Garrett felt such a draw to the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, Garrett seems like a really decent human being. Some would suggest he made some really terrible choices um, over the weekend in Austin, Texas. This was, was this Saturday night that this happened, by the way? Uh, It doesn't matter. Garrett had taken a pretty violent uh, stance in this. And Garrett's not alone, by the way. Uh, Garrett Foster is one of many, many, many people who are using social media and their place at the table now to talk about some sort of violent confrontation, a war, a civil war, um, revolution, whatever it is they're looking for. And I find that funny. Like what you see is, in my opinion, is absolutely a civil war happening in the United States right now. 100% bona fide a Civil War. Americans are killing each other, attacking each other, 
over political differences, over different colors of skin. It goes both ways. Okay, We're seeing the lynching of white people in New York delis right now. We're seeing the murder of black people because they support President Trump. Seems to be what happened to that gentleman. Uh, And now you've got a 28-year-old white guy who has a black fiance. And the account seems to be that a car came. Now, here's the thing. These cars keep coming into the protest, quote-unquote. But that's really not the case. Because what you have, if you look at what happened in Greenville, I'll give you the mic. If you look at what happened in Greenville, right? The Black Lives Matter protesters told our city we will not get a permit to protest. Yes. We are just going to show up and you're going to deal with it. Well, guess what? Now it's not a protest. It's not a protest. Okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Call it whatever you want. It's a mob of people. It is a unruly, unethical mob of people. You're not allowed to just mob the street. You are allowed to peacefully petition the government for redress of grievances, right? That is your right under the First Amendment. The government is allowed to tell you you have to get a permit to go out there and protest like that, especially if you're going to enter the public street. If you're going to take over a public roadway, you probably need to be permitted to do that so that, A, you don't get hurt, and, B, the public isn't terrified because something is happening that seems, by the way, like an act of war. Well, I want to challenge... A little bit of what you said there. You said cars are driving into the protest. But okay, but that's and, where I'm qualifying there is right. they're not because it's not actually an organized protest. Well, I would argue the cars are driving on the road like they're supposed to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. these morons that are in yeah. the street are doing this to themselves. Mm-hmm. The guys that are getting run over, situations like this with Garrett, I I I do feel for uh, his fiance's situation, obviously, that's a terrible story. That's right. Terribly sad. Because here's somebody who loves you unconditionally, who has promised to take care of you for life, and you're gonna. I mean, then, and not to be callous, but she needs she needs that. Sure. And now he, in my opinion, robbed her of that. Like, yeah. what a terrible tragedy. Terrible. Well, I mean, you have children. I have a daughter at home. So you know what? When crap like this is going on. Right. I stay home. That's right. That's right. I mean, there, there's no other logical way to look at it. I mean, you, you can go out there and you can do this stuff if you want. But at the end of the day, if you have a family to take care of or someone else, I, I feel like that should be your priority, not whatever this is supposed to be. I mean, it's like, all right, the, you're... You're talking about a manufactured crisis. There is no pandemic of police killing unarmed black men. It is not a thing. The numbers prove that's not even a legitimate concern. And we've talked about it here. Those numbers have been put out all over except for the major media outlets. Right. Not a novel concept. No, if you're if you're on social media, odds are, and you don't live in a complete bubble, you probably have seen some of those stats. You've probably seen a meme mm-hmm. with some truth to it, mm-hmm. but a meme floating around that illustrates exactly how many people of different races are killed 
by cops who also happen to be unarmed. Right. It's very low numbers. Much lower than I ever would have guessed. Yep. And it really does a disservice to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor where you have legitimate instances of WTF police moments and you have to ask yourself, why are we allowing that to happen? But we're just as critical of those moments as we are of the white man shot in Simpsonville, South Carolina by an officer who yep. shot through the man's front door yep. because the, because there's all this commotion outside the man's house. So he grabs a firearm and goes down the stairs, wondering what's going on, sees motion, raises his gun, like, what is this? And then gets shot and killed by a cop. I mean, right or wrong, I tend to side on, you probably don't need to be a cop if that's the way you handle that. Like, I get a gun was pointed at you, and I hate playing you know, backseat driver, Monday morning quarterback more so in that instance. But to me, I remember watching that and, and hearing the, the audio and the 911 calls and you just think, oh, wait a second. Like, what are the cops doing snooping around? Like, make your presence known. So there, there, I guess what I'm saying is there's legitimate room for us to criticize and demand a higher um, accountability from police. I'm I'm okay with that, 100%. And in the case of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, absolutely. But what the media has done and what the Marxist of Black Lives Matter movement, their words, not mine, are trying to do is to take these legitimate grievances and stretch them into areas that they have absolutely zero application and to say, well, see, this is all systemic racism and this is a result of this and this is a result of that. And you have people like James Gordon using their late-night ha-ha moments to say, well, we need to highlight how every white man has a privilege just by being born white. He legitimately did a segment two weeks ago, was it? Where he's talking with the, and here's what's great, by the way. It's just so funny that, see, James is too stupid, according to the bit, to recognize his white privilege. So he has to bring a black. Hilarious. Yeah, he has to bring a black woman on, and she's a writer for the show. So funny, I forgot to laugh. (laughs) She has to condescend to him the whole time about the fact that he has white privilege. Of course. And he says, well, I I wasn't privileged. I mean, I grew up poor. We had to go camping for vacation. Ha, ha, ha. Only poor people go camping. Ha, 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 ha. And then she says, yeah, but that's, I mean, you could be poor and work your way into wealth, but you still had privilege because society didn't discriminate against you because of the color of your skin. Okay. Now, let me explain something to you. I know a black woman isn't going to understand this because she's a black woman. But when I went to college... As a 33, 34-year-old white man, let me list for you the number of scholarships that they were banging on my door to take home with me. Yeah. I'm done. You probably still have money falling out of your pocket. I didn't say anything. I'm done. There's nothing to talk about. What? But if you're gay, a minority, a woman. Did you show them your white privilege card? (laughs) I tried. I I just showed up. Uh, Excuse me, it's me. White guy. Hand it over. Um, try being a straight white guy on a college campus these days. My heart goes out to you, fellas, especially if you're a conservative, because it is difficult. You better, if you're not bending the knee and apologizing, I don't know how you're surviving right now. I think that's what we should do. Actually, we should go enroll in the local tech school Mm. and go to uh, the admissions office and say, okay, so do you guys just hand us a degree or that's right. Like, how does this work? Uh, I see here you're going to want $5,000 for the semester. Um, I've signed it white privilege there at the bottom. 
they'll be taking care of that one for and you. And then when they when they tell us that's not going to work, ask them why our white privilege isn't good enough. Yeah. I think right. we should do that. It's just not really a thing. Like, I get the idea of it. Like, well, you don't know what it's like to be discriminated against. I absolutely do. Hey, listen, I worked in radio. Here, tr- try this. I guarantee it. Try it. Go to allaccess.com. Allaccess.com. That is a radio industry website. Okay? Sign up for a free account. Won't cost you anything. Tell me you work at a radio station somewhere. They don't care. Sign up, get the account, and go to the jobs board. And you tell me how many jobs you see right now posted where they're looking for a gay woman or a Latino woman or a black woman or a white woman, and they'll put it in the title. If you're not this, don't apply. If you're not this, don't apply. Time and time and time again. Never once in all of the 15, 16 years I spent in radio did they say straight white guy wanted, but they were definitely Latina female voice needed, black female voice needed, uh, gay male voice needed on and on. Like they get really descriptive and it would be discriminatory. How is that legal? Great question. Great question. It'd be discriminatory in any other sense, except that what we've done is we've taken it where as long as you're oppressing the right people, we agree with it as a society and it would be ridiculous to stand up against you because what you're actually doing is you're fighting oppression by oppressing the quote unquote oppressor. You're now fighting oppression. So it's cool. No big deal. I see. You making sense now? No, I've had my eyes closed. (laughs) It's, um, it's a strange, strange thing. Um, but it ties back to the sadness I feel for, a guy like Garrett Foster. And we're going to play Garrett's audio because I'm not trying to paint him as a saint here. I, I just want to say deeply, truly, I think he was a decent human being. I think the media misled him. I think he bought into what he was reading on social media. I would tell you, uh, there's, there's, that's a two-way street. And what I mean by that is uh, when I first found out about this, I found out about it on Instagram. Someone had... Uh, screen grabbed a story and I couldn't tell you the source, but there were several and they were painting this whole scenario very differently than what the reality apparently was. So uh, the, the initial reports from very left leaning sources were um, that he was pushing his uh, fiance across a crosswalk. I'm sure yeah. he was in between the lines. Well, that, by the way, real quick, sorry to interject, but that's from the families. That's what the families sure. are telling the media is I that's all he that. was doing. I, okay. be, I believe that wholeheartedly that they would they would say that. So apparently he was pushing her and definitely on the crosswalk. This car comes up. There's some kind of problem. The guy points a gun at him. Uh, he raises his AK that he has slung because it's a peaceful protest. I always bring my AK mm-hmm. whenever I'm going to go to a peaceful protest. Just that's mm. a total side note. Um, that's I'm just showing how I can relate. I understand. So, uh, it's illegal that, in South Carolina, but you do, you do you. Hey, live my life how I want to. You're right. You're right. So at that point, there's some gunfire exchange. Free men don't ask permission. That's right. Yep, go ahead. Keep copying my Second Amendments in my back pocket. <laughs> So that's the story, right? So there's gunfire exchanged, and then Garrett is uh, shot and transported to the hospital, dies on the way there. So that was the initial story, and I saw that from more than one source. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the story, as we know it now, is not exactly the same. And there's 
uh, video where you cannot see the gunfire itself because there's a big crowd of people and they're kind of in the middle of it because they're surrounding this car. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. As you would put it, driving through the protest. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, so, but you hear the gunfire exchange, there's several shots. Um, I don't know if this guy ever got a shot off, to be honest with you. I mean, I think he, no, I, he, he, I don't think he did. In but fact, he was pointing the gun at the guy. Well, so yes. So the story as it stands now is that Austin police will tell you Garrett Foster approached the car, the driver, the driver of the car says Garrett raised his rifle at him. So then he opened fire. And the police will tell you that a concealed weapons, a licensed concealed weapon permit holder in the crowd removed their firearm and shot at the car. So they have Garrett's gun, they have the driver's gun, and then they have the CWP guy's gun. And if I'm not mistaken, they have the passenger's gun as well because there's two people in that car now here's where here's where you're not on the side of the law if you're a protester number one you're not on the side of the law if you're in a mob that's raging in the middle of the street and you surround a car because what you've done is you've given that driver legitimate fear for imminent harm or death and in most scenarios that's going to play in the driver's favor when it goes to court, right? Number two. In a sane world, yes. Yeah, that's true. Number two, you're doing yourself an injustice when you're Garrett Foster and someone comes up with a camera, puts it in your face, and says, hey, what are you doing with your AK out here? And you give them 45 seconds of this. Moments before. Moments before. This is night of. Language warning, all right? Mostly language warning for the black man rapping in the background. Sorry about what you're going to hear with that, but also language warning from Garrett Foster. Listen to this for 45 seconds. What you got it out tonight? They don't let us march in the streets anymore, so got to practice some some of our rights. Do you feel like you'll need to use it? Nah, I think the, uh, I mean, if I use it against the cops, I'm dead. And I think all the people that hate us and, you know, want to say shit to us are too big of uh, pussies to stop and actually do anything about it. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Again, seems to me. Garrett and, and family were probably having some pretty heated conversations around the dinner table where they're all getting each other worked up about this thing that doesn't actually exist. Okay. You have two reasons to be really worked up right now, but that's it. Okay. And again, le- those are legitimate grievances, but there's also legitimate ways to deal with those grievances. You change what needs to be changed. You go to Minneapolis and you change Minneapolis, right? And you don't go into the streets where this isn't happening in Austin, Texas. I mean, this is a liberal bastion of a city. This is not this is not some conservative stronghold. This is pretty much as left as it gets. You don't throw you don't throw your face mask on and sling a rifle, go out there and cause trouble and expect to walk away. And so my, the point I'm trying to make about all of this is you can choose to look at it as he got what he deserved 
And if he pointed the rifle, if he pointed that rifle at that man, he did. Because that's what happens. But you could also choose to look at it as, this is why we don't want to be having these conversations on social media of any sort of desire for war. I get what's happening in Portland with the federal agents and the Border Patrol and people are going, well, these are federal police officers now and they're roughing up American citizens without due process. I get the fine line they're walking, but they're also protecting federal property that is being destroyed by violent, violent rage mobs. Those men are under threat of life every day. Like, they fear for their lives every day. So they believe death is just a Molotov cocktail away. Mm -hmm. And there's legitimate reason for them to feel that way. There's a difference between what's happening there in Portland. Again, violent fascist faction of people attacking federal government property. And then we need something to march for in Austin, Texas, because we're bored. And so we bring rifles to what? To show off? To be a showboat and to say, look at me, I have an AK, and I'll approach this car and act like Rambo? You know, I think your point about his heart being in the right place, I think you're probably right. Um, He doesn't seem like a complete turd of a human being uh, on the surface. But you listen to that audio, that interview, yeah, and I think the major flaw there is that he has underestimated the fact that Right. Someone might actually retaliate if you stick a rifle in their face. Well, yeah. And I'm wondering how many more people this is going to take. How many more people have to die like this before these dummies that want to block traffic get the hint? And how long ago was it we said that? That there's now, there's a moral obligation of these people to go home. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think that these people that are driving through the protests are looking for trouble. Right. I'm, now, I could be wrong, but I, I don't. <laughs> the roads exist for a reason. I I mean, if a protest were to pop up right now on my way home, would I know? Maybe, maybe not. Right. So I may end up in one anyway. Yeah. And yeah, if yeah. that's the case, I'm going to defend myself. Yeah. If, if something like this is to happen where I feel like my life is in jeopardy, mm-hmm. absolutely going to do whatever it takes to get home. Yeah. And, and that's the important thing to keep in mind is no one is obligated to know your intent for whatever it is you're doing, right? So just as the thief in the night breaks into my home, I don't have to stop and go, okay, is he just here for the TV or is he here to hurt my family? Yeah. Right? I have no legal obligation to stop and determine his intent. I get to just defend myself and my family, and that's the right thing. So if I'm driving home and I get surrounded by a group of people and somebody raises a rifle, I'm not obligated to stop and, oh, wait a second, what's he telling me to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You defend yourself. Uh, You have an obligation to get home to your family, to protect them, to to continue to provide for them. And I think the problem here is we're dealing with a group of people on both sides, by the way, who believe that their intent will be understood because everybody else is thinking the way they think. The bigger point for the Garrett Fosters of the world, and like you alluded to, what may be many more, unfortunately, is that they have to understand that it's not a game and there are people who are actively armed and trained and want to be left alone but are willing to defend themselves with deadly force. It's not a joke. I guess that's my point, too, though, is you have a guy like this who probably, now, I think he was in the military 
from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Definitely so was. has some weapons training. Um, but you're dealing with, I would say, on the whole, from this crowd, a bunch of people who don't really have a lot of weapons training. Right. And they're making an assumption, I think, because they don't, that other people are probably on their same level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the circles that you and I run in, that would be very contrary. Right. I mean, we, we know some people that are pretty skilled yeah. with a firearm. So, yeah. um, I mean, you do know me, so there's that. <laughs> there's that. Um, you, you can you can ride my coattails if you want. But, sure thing. But you see what I'm saying. Bring though. your scar while I ride them. You got it. All right. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I think that there's a, a misstep where they think, well, I'm just going to throw all this stuff on. I'm going to go march around in the streets. I'm going to posture. I'm going to sling my AK and act like a tough guy. Right. And it's all fun and games until somebody decides you're not as tough as you think you are. And it's, look, we got hit by lightning this week. Our street, literally, have you ever heard of this? I've never seen this in my life. The road out front of my house got hit by lightning. Bam! Right? Well, I say out front of my house. Like three houses down. Boom! It's so loud. Mm-hmm. Blinding, deafening. Bang! I, I'd been close to lightning once before in my life, and it was it like replayed in my head. Like, oh, whoa, I know exactly what just happened. See a big pink and, flash? Uh, yeah. So, well, I was we were inside, but the point is this. We heard it. We felt it. Shook everything. We lose water, and we lose Wi-Fi. It hit a water line. Craziest. It flooded the street. So, so, like, within minutes, by the way, the fire department's out here. Police arrive. The water company's right behind all of them. There's water everywhere, so they had to shut water down the street. No water, no Wi-Fi, right? And they say to us, it may be three days. And we go, what? And, and that's when you take that white privilege card out again. <laughs> yeah. And you just show them that, and you go, nah, I don't You'll think so, guys. It. You'll fix it right now. Well, unfortunately, it was where the two black families in our neighborhood, they, they, they well, there's three black families, but two were neighbors, and that was theirs, so they did tell us, well, it's just them, gotcha. so we're not going to hurry about gotcha. it. Psych! That didn't happen. Uh, what was interesting, though, it did. It was right out front of uh, our, our neighbor's house. Anyway, it doesn't matter too much, except that, except that. Here's my whole point. No water, no Wi-Fi, right? And they say to us, it might be three days, and we're going to have to block the entire street. So I live on a double cul-de-sac. Right. So where it hit is how you get into our neighborhood in and out. So it's like you're not going anywhere for three days. So you might want to move a car to the other side of this before we call in your white privilege helicopter. That too. You are full of great ideas. Yeah. Just call me Patrick, the white privilege advice guy. I like that. That should be a uh, segment every week is get out of this with your white privilege and you come up with those. Um, deal it was amazing how lost we felt immediately without water and wi-fi we come home there's no running water in the house nobody can use the bath this is stupid chris moment we're all out there the kids are running crazy they're telling us like the water company is saying it might take a couple days here like we're gonna do what we can do but we don't know yet we got to get in there there was so much water that the asphalt on top of the street was moving. It was like wobbling. It was crazy. So everything's saturated. It's wild. The kids are down there playing around. They think it's great. I say, all right, cool. Let's go home. So we come back up the street. Everybody's playing outside. It starts to rain a little bit again. You know, the storm had kind of rolled through. It starts to rain. 
And I kid you not, I turn. I go, all right, let's go inside. It's bath time. Let's wrap this up. We're going inside for baths. And I like get all the kids in, and they're nice, good kids at that moment. And they go upstairs and start getting clothes off to take a bath. And I look up, and I go, I'm an idiot. Nobody can take a bath. Like there's, I thought there's you were no water. Say you pulled a handkerchief out of your pocket. And went. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did wipes, and we have uh, you know some of those sanitation wipes, you know, and uh, it kind of did the the poor man's shower. But my point is this: it was amazing how quickly disconnected and whatever the word is for feeling completely out of control and helpless and hopeless, just because we lacked water and Wi-Fi. Now. We had bottled water. Out You're of the- talking to a guy who didn't wipe his butt for four months. You? Yeah. When did you do that? I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> when you were like six? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Uh, when the governor outlawed toilet paper. No, wait. Oh, I, hit you. I get you. I, I'm getting all confused. You really chose your own way through the COVID madness. Yeah. Kudos, I guess. Uh, my point is. Now I'm going to do me. I look at the people on what would be, quote unquote, our side. Of the battle out there. War. Right? Fight it out. No, you're not. Okay. Because modern modern us, no water, no Wi-Fi, suddenly you're lost. And everybody, I mean, we still had electricity. We had food we could eat. Right? The refrigerator was working and keeping things cold. Just no water, no Wi-Fi. And suddenly you feel like, how long could we last? Not long. Go to our parents' house. Right? Like, pack it up. We're leaving. Um did you start screaming at everybody to get the bug out bags? Yes. All right. No, I didn't scream it. You do it discreetly. You inch out of the neighborhood. <laughs> My neighbor, by the way, is former Army Ranger guy, right? And so we were standing out there, and our the neighbor Caddy Corner is a younger guy. And he goes, yeah, they're saying it might be three days. And my neighbor goes, three days. And we kind of looked at each other, and I go, kid up. <laughs> he goes, let's take this neighborhood back. <laughs> I figured you were going to say, you, you walk down there like, so, got any bottled water? <laughs> hey, while the water's running, can I fill these buckets real fast? Uh, anyway, my point is, uh, we we do have these people like Garrett who want to posture and it cost him his life. Uh, you can choose how you want to feel about that. I choose to feel uh, because I think it's the right way to feel. I think we all need to give pause to this and ask, okay, where are we really going? Here's the whole point that I probably should have made at the beginning. What we say and do on social media. When I posted this week the video of the Portland uh, incident, I'd say, where the Border Patrol agents got in the tiff with the rioters, I said, my favorite part of this Civil War is that I don't have to get off my couch to see the highlights. That's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but it's also kind of real. Like we can make those comments and we can say what we would do or how we would do it. But I think it's kind of time to realize that some people out there are taking it very seriously and they're taking it more serious than they ever should. And the media is culpable in Garrett's death because the media, pardon the pun, is fostering an environment where guys like Garrett Foster believe that they have to go out there and march for a difference. They need to be aggressive to the who, whomever it is they come in contact with because those people hate black people just because they're black. That doesn't really exist, as we've said time and time again. 
I actually saw actual stats from a guy that knows. Membership of the KKK is down to like just over 15,000 people, maybe 20,000 people, they say, around the country actually say I'm a member of the KKK, are willing to do that. It's such a small number of people. It's so insignificant. And that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist, but this idea of some big, bad boogeyman entity existing that's coming for you, it's just not a thing. It's not a thing. So, to the bigger point, A disagreement in politics and a disagreement in religion should never be cause for a loss of friendship. And it it certainly shouldn't be a cause for a loss of life like what happened to Garrett. And what Garrett didn't understand, unfortunately, is that that's all this really is. Like you said earlier, that's why guys like us aren't grabbing rifles and taking to the street. That's why we come home and sit with our families is because we realize this is just a different political opinion. Do we need to squash it when they get out there and get violent? Absolutely. Did the driver of that car do what he needed to do? I believe probably that's what we'll find out. But those that are thinking rationally right now, I think will continue to stay home. And the more people we can work to convince that really this is just a broad disagreement and it will blow over, maybe we could change the minds of guys like Garrett and keep them from going out and being as violent uh, or or maybe not violent as he was. But, I mean, look, the police, just so you know, the police are saying they have an eyewitness that saw Garrett raise the rifle. All right, you got a car surrounded by people. I mean, it doesn't add up in his favor from the outside looking in, but maybe, maybe I could be wrong. So also, anyway. he's wearing an AK Operators Union hat. And isn't that wild? That that probably didn't do him any favors either. Isn't that wild? That's a very popular channel for people that like the type of rifle old Garrett was carrying there. I wonder, you know, it's funny. It, it's funny to see him wearing a hat. You wouldn't catch me in a Black Lives Matter hat, right? Because I don't I agree don't with, with anything they stand for. I'm keeping my eye on you. What is Garrett doing in the hat of an entity that absolutely, I mean, I think we can all say safely, we would bet that old Robsky isn't jumping on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon anytime soon. No. Uh, that's a guy, by the way, who actually has fought against oppression, right? He's actually done some legit things with his life. Uh, so he's probably a guy worthy of being looked up to, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, I, I feel sad about Garrett. I think he was misguided. I think the media lied to him. I think he believed what he was reading on social media. I think as a society, we have an obligation to protect people like Garrett from the bad information. And and I hate we you know nobody got to him with the truth before what happened happened. So, um, I guess you know, I'm glad it hasn't erupted into worse chaos in Austin, Texas. As far as I've heard, it hasn't. So, thank. I'll tell you I what. Heard anything else? And it, thank I, God he wasn't black. Because it'd be uh, really, really point. bad if he was. Be really, but because it's a white guy, we we might escape this with just you know, it being done. More than likely, it was Saturday, by the way. Okay, there you go. It was Saturday. Nothing, nothing new since then, uh, as far as protests or anything resulting from this, as far as I know. Unreal. Hey, uh, by the way, <clears throat> we got into a debate the other day about the Mossberg shockwave, and it had been a while since we reviewed why the Mossberg shockwave isn't actually a shotgun. Do you remember those key points? No. Okay. It's 
kind of a fun little brain game with the old ATF. But we went to the NRA That's why show. I don't remember. It's you difficult. Just, you just said a four letter, three letter word. It's hard to keep up. So it really is. I don't I don't really keep up with what they're up to. On our YouTube channel, we have a video alongside Mossberg where they explain to us in person and in full detail why the Mossberg shockwave is actually not a shot gun. Go visit YouTube, search out Felt Recall Shell, and you can see that video for yourself. What time is it, y'all? Mm-hmm. I'm an ambitious officer. I need to be a part of the 100 Club. I need to be a part of the 100 Club. Um, this week's voter of the week, we believe may have been trained by the man himself. I think that could very well be true. Uh, in fact, is marching and they decide to do a weapons check because that's what armed militias do once they get where it is. Yeah. They're marching. Yep. Mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. They're in Kentucky. I usually put my pants on and then my underwear too. Right. Uh, <laughs> look at this. They're uh, marching in Louisville, Kentucky on Saturday when one of their members had a negligent discharge and shot three people, all members of Infac. Uh, the group's founder, John Grandmaster Jay Johnson, tells ABC News that members of the militia were inspecting firearms prior to the demonstration when a woman's weapon was accidentally discharged. Johnson referred to the woman as a trainee, saying, quote, Today, shortly before 1 p.m., three people were struck by gunfire as the result of a discharge of someone's gun. Um, here's my favorite part of this, by the way. Jesse Cohen was on the ground covering the event. In fact, by the way, if you don't know, is a uh, violent leftist Black Lives Matter slash Antifa movement. Anyway, uh, she's with WH. AS11 there in Louisville and she captured photos of what happened right after the shooting started with Infac. And P Mac Hulon, do you, do you notice anything telling about the photos that she captured right after the shooting? Specifically, let me let me yeah. um there we are. There we go. You notice anything funny about There's two things quickly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh one it appears everyone dressed in black is ducking behind vehicles you, and hitting the deck. Really? Like and, they got scared and ran away? Yep. Uh, yeah. They went and hid. Um, wow. Which is strange because uh, they're obviously highly skilled, highly trained individuals. So I'm a little confused. Functioning I as one unit, of course. <laughs> Her tweet says, we just watched two people taken onto stretchers at Baxter Square on 12th and Jefferson. Metro Safe has confirmed reports of shooting, and there are multiple victims. We heard the noises when people scattered to get behind cars and to take a knee. Um, so, so the other point I would say about these photos is the one thing that you do see uh, is there's actually a cop running towards the gunfire. Right. As all of these other people are ducking and diving out of the way. Yep. He's actually out there to help. Interesting. They should definitely yeah. cut his pay. He's white, too. I would defund it. Yeah, white guy running into a group of black people to help everybody after something terrible has happened. Why does Infac have the same reaction to gunfire that Major League Baseball players do to the National Anthem? 
That's a solid question. Is that just a coincidence? It's probably because uh, Jam Master J just got a big multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. Okay. That could be it. I'm just looking for similarities. Yeah, I mean, I'm really trying to figure it out myself because I find it funny they all just took a knee. Like, all right, time to hang out, time to hang out. How embarrassing is that, by the way? Right? Like... Kind of harken back to the days. It feels like when you were a kid and you try to do adult things and then you end up falling <laughs> on your face in front of all the adults and then you have to yeah. like stand there and take it on the chin. Like, okay, okay, didn't work out. Yep. Didn't work out, you know. No, so <laughs> we're the in fact militia. We're not effing around. <laughs> Negligent discharge. Oh, everybody take a knee, take a knee, take a knee. Just an accident. Uh, Grandmaster Jay there, which by the way, every time I hear his name in my head, uh, I just hear, I said a hip hop, a hip. That's right. Every time, every time I hear his name, That's it's getting right. pretty annoying actually. Um, he made some comments about how I think at their last rally when we covered that a couple weeks ago that they are a uh, safety first organization. Uh, this rally, sir, would prove you are <laughs> definitely wrong. otherwise. I love all the people wearing masks and I can't breathe shirts. Like I just find. They should see the irony in that and choose to not wear the masks. It just doesn't work. Your point kind of gets, you know, a little muddled there. I will say um, when they were in Atlanta, there was claims that they had like a thousand people there and the videos showed maybe a couple hundred. Uh, I did see one one long shot. Uh, there it is right there. Um where you can actually see these guys marching, and they actually did come out with some pretty significant numbers yeah. this time. They're so out in force, I don't man. know what changed in the last like two or three weeks, but there is uh, an exponential change in the number of their ranks. Well, for sure. uh, listen, once you once you show up, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Uh, yeah. So the minute people believe there's some validity to what you're trying to do, they're going to show up and march with you. And this is, I mean, a, it could that. Stunt in Atlanta could have just been purely a recruiting tool, and it actually oh, paid off. Oh, absolutely. Stone Mountain was nothing but recruitment. Uh, and these guys are ready and willing. And <laughs> look. With their Keltex. We can laugh at this dude's, you know, scope on his bullpup. Um, I get it. They look dumb. They're not wearing the right gear. But I'm telling you, these guys are serious about a fight, and they're ready. And so that – takes me back to the previous conversation about Garrett Foster in the sense that we got to find a way to talk to these guys. And if you just said, oh, we're done talking, there's no talking to these people, I think that's actually part of the problem. I mean, we got to find a way to dialogue because you don't want what you claim you want on social media. right? That's the whole point here. Garrett didn't want to die, but he wanted to go out and pretend he was willing and able to die over something that's not even a thing. It's not even a thing. Well, this runs there's, deeper. There's some irony, too, that uh, the NFAC guys probably wouldn't have cared a whole lot for Garrett or the fact that Garrett uh, right. claimed to be a Black Lives Matter supporter. They probably still wouldn't care because he's yes. white. So, And they're not affiliated with Black Lives Matter, and they don't want anything to do with it. They, th- these are actual anarchists, and these are Marxists, and these are people who want a violent revolution just because they hate America. I get that, but what I'm telling you is they will use the Black Lives Matter to recruit their members. They will use the current tenor in America to get people on their side 
and amass an army that they will then use against us unless we can get the media to help us and use social media to change the conversation and to say, look, this is not what you think it is, and these are the ways we're willing to work to make things better. I'm telling you, these guys' numbers are growing. They're growing, as you just pointed out. And, I mean, look at them. They're kitted up. That comes to a neighborhood near you. That's terrifying. It's ter- I mean, look, that, that's some serious weaponry. Whether we like it or not, I mean, that's that's going to oh, do some and damage. In, and in numbers, like I said. So. Yeah. So I think that, that bothers me more than all the crappy guns that they have. I don't know. I mean, their, gun, their gun selection literally looks like a flea market table. Sure. Uh, sure. But they don't care. No, they don't. I mean, and I guess that's what I'm saying is uh, the guns themselves don't really intimidate me nearly as much as the fact that the, they're growing very rapidly. But what are these guys going to do? They're going to kill other people and take their guns. These aren't guys that are acquiring weapons legally. I mean, I think we can all agree to that. Uh, these are stolen. These are black market weapons, uh, probably in large part. And and they're the guys who are going to live by the mentality of kill the people that have and take what they have so you can get what you need. And it's going to be really, really bad time uh, if we don't find a way to... If we don't get to the Garrett Fosters of the world before these guys do, we have a very, very big problem ahead of us. I so agree with that. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. Did we miss anything, Mr. Hulon? Never. All right. Fantastic. That's it for episode 107 of the Felt Recall Podcast. Please find us online, feltrecallshow.com. You can click your favorite social media icon there and give us a follow or a like or whatever. If you do check out the YouTube videos, do us a favor. Uh, give them a like and a comment. And wherever you're getting this podcast each and every week, if you will please make sure you subscribe and leave a review of the podcast. That'll help other people find us as well. Felt Recall is a podcast that has new episodes available every Tuesday, wherever you like to get your podcasts. We'll see you back here in seven more days for another fresh episode of the Felt Recall podcast.